have a guest back with us that was with us a couple weeks ago. Her name is Jill Savage. Many of you remember her and I discussing how there's no such thing as perfect parenting. And today we're going to talk about how there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. So welcome, Jill. Well, it's good to be with you again. <laughs> I love your titles of your books. They're so, they're so real and it's so refreshing to say there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Amen. <laughs> That's right. What we, uh, what we say in our book, No More Perfect Marriages, is that um, uh, there is no perfect marriage, but marriage is perfecting us each and every day. Oh, isn't that true? I mean, mm-hmm. even when I don't want it to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Jill, will you just kind of jump in and tell our listeners uh, a little bit about the background of your stories what, and what led you to write this book? Because it's pretty interesting. Yeah, well, um, my husband and I have been um, married 34 years, 24 of them happily. And um, I wish that wasn't true, but it is. Uh, we've And there wasn't one like 10-year dark season. We've had our ups and downs over the years, as most couples have to some degree. Um, but, uh, we, we've, we've just had challenges with our, our differences, our personalities. Um, we have, uh, he tends to, I tend to be strong. He tends to be, um, a little bit more passive. And so we've, um, kind of had a power struggle and we've had to learn to work through that. Um, my husband was a pastor for 20 years and, um, in the in those twenty years, one of the things that he uh, dealt with quite a bit uh, was uh, depression. So we had um, kind of seen a lot of emotional ups and downs with him, and um, and so obviously that had also affected our marriage. But uh, six years ago, he went through the deepest, darkest depression I had ever seen him go through, and. He absolutely was, um, I don't know, he was disillusioned with life. He was disillusioned with God. He was disillusioned with our marriage and um, eventually had a um, affair and um, eventually left, left our marriage, uh, left our, um, uh, the kids. Uh, we have five children and it was a dark, dark season. Um, And I just, you know, as I really sorted through, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I just felt like my marching orders were to love him. And so I worked really hard uh, to do that Um, to the best of my ability. I'd never loved somebody that wasn't loving you back. Um, But in time, um, I feel like God really took me to a deeper place. And eventually, uh, Mark returned home. And uh, returned home remorseful, repentant, um, honestly, uh, completely submitted uh, to God. And it was a total turnaround in our marriage. And so about three years ago, we decided to go public with that part of our story uh, to share openly about it. And um, in in our healing, one of the things that we identified were seven fades that every marriage goes through. Our marriage went through these. Our marriage still can tend to uh, walk toward them. And we wa- we realized, um, wow, we need to talk about these fades more often. And ultimately, that's what led to writing No More Perfect Marriages. Wow. 
So, you know, did you ever think you would handle the news of an affair the way you actually did it? Because I know, you know, a lot, like girlfriends and I will talk about this topic and what would you do? And this is what I would do. And this is what I think you would, you know, I would do. And I always say to myself, I have no idea because you don't know until you're in that situation. Yep. And you don't know how your spouse is going to handle it. So it's hard to predict. Did you think that you would be someone that would stick with it after you found out the news? You know, I'm a pretty loyal person. I really am. Um, So I would say that I would have expected that. And for me, marriage is a lifetime. Uh, It was a lifetime commitment. I mean, when I said I do, I meant it. Um, I I mean, I can't tell you that I handled it well 100% of the time. You know, obviously... Uh, I was a mess, uh, when it first, uh, I discovered it, I was angry, I was hurt. Um, and the hardest part is, um, you know, when I, when I, um, confronted him with it, um, he admitted it and then, uh, immediately said, and I have no desire to stop. And, uh, so honestly, I wasn't just dealing with his, uh, I wasn't just dealing with his, um, rejecting me and, um, and being unfaithful, but man, his heart was really, really hard. And that was probably the scariest part, um, for me, but you're right. I don't think you can say what you would do until you're in that moment. And man, I, I just had to, um, I honestly, you hit, you hit rock bottom and, um, and then you start, uh, finding your footing again and, uh, and just taking it one step at a time. And I did get to a place, um, where even my Christian counselor was saying to me, Jill, I think you need to be ready to move on. I don't, I really don't think he's going to turn around. I'm not seeing any evidence of it. And, um, I decided I was going to hang on for a few more months before I would, um, make any steps. And it was within that few more months that he actually made his turnaround. Wow. God is good, right? He is. I mean, but you, it was hard. And would, I mean, he went back and yeah. forth. He actually went back and forth seven times before he completely wow. fully recommitted. So I, I have to tell you by that seventh time, I was, you know, thinking, yeah, right. It, you know, it's going to be another three weeks and you're, but I did know there was a difference. In fact, the day that he made his full turnaround, he was, um, it was Easter. It was Easter Sunday and, um, I could tell that there was a difference in him. So I had a glimmer of hope that maybe this time was different and, uh, and indeed it was. Uh, and so it took us about 18 months to put our, our marriage back together. I mean, we were in weekly counseling for 18 months after all of that. And, um, and I was so grateful, um, though, that we, uh, you know, did the hard work because now we're at a completely different place. I would say our marriage is stronger uh, because of it, um, but it's been hard earned. Yeah. And what do you, I mean, what do you say to the people that are listening that feel like maybe this is a possibility in their marriage right now? I think nobody can be, nobody can think to themselves, this could never happen to me because I think a lot of affairs begin without the intention of, you know, people don't wake up and say, I'm going to go have an affair today, or I'm going to go meet somebody today that I want to have an affair with. 
it usually happens gradually without you even realizing it. And next thing you know, you're in really deep. So what do you say to those people that are listening who may think to themselves, this is a possibility that either they might begin an affair or the person they're married to is already having an existing affair? Well, I think there's, you know, those are two different situations. If for those that uh, maybe they're a little too close to the edge themselves, I would say run, run in the opposite direction. Um, one of the slow fades that we talk about in No More Perfect Marriages is the slow fade of naivety. And naivety says, it's okay. I, I can have these conversations. It's not going to hurt anybody. And my husband's affair started with Facebook conversations with an old girlfriend from high school. That's how it started. And so, um, you know, she, she was going through her own, a divorce. Uh, she reached out to him as a pastor and, um, before you know it, the conversations went in a completely different direction. So I really think that we have to, um, we have to recognize that, you know, we can't play near the ditches. You got to stay on the yellow line as if you're driving down a road and you stay close to that middle line, do not even get close to the ditch. So that's what I would say to a person that is struggling themselves. Um, because the damage and the pain that this will cause, not only you, but your spouse, your children, your extended family is unfathomable to you right now. You are minimizing it in your mind. And, um, and so you do, you do not want to go there. Um, to a person that is in the middle of it, I think, um, man, this is where faith comes in because everything around me was stopping. Um, you know, it was falling apart the only place that I could have a firm foundation was in my faith. And, um, I, I can't even imagine going through it without having that relationship with God, because honestly he was my steady firm foundation. And I got to a place where I was, I, I could, I could truly say it is not well with my circumstances, but it is well with my soul. And I think that's what anyone who's going through this, that needs to be your ultimate goal is um is to really focus on your own soul health because that's going to give you your marching orders that's going to give you your steadiness each and every day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How how did you go from how did you rebuild the trust, Joe? That's a really um that's a good question. I actually uh wrote an entire article on that uh for today's Christian woman. In fact, I can give you the link to that and maybe we can put it in the program notes. Um, but one of the things that I will say that was very key to rebuilding the trust is, um, was honestly my husband, uh, he became an open book and that was huge. Uh, he became, you know, I mean, his phone was unlocked. I could go anywhere on his phone if I wanted to. Um, he gave me all of his computer passwords. I mean, he just became an open book and that was huge. And I was so grateful for that. I think a second thing is that anytime I would bring something up, he just would re he would respond in a loving way, not in an exasperated way. And so maybe I asked him a question about something and I've already asked him, 
that question maybe from a slightly different angle three other times. <laughs> you know, he never said, I've already asked that. I, you know, I've already answered that question twice. Why are you asking me again? He never did. He would just calmly give me a response to that. And I so appreciated that because I felt safe asking anything. And, you know, in the beginning, in the first six months, I was probably asking him questions six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a day. In the second six months, maybe six times a week. In the third six months, maybe once a month, twice a month. And so, you know, it, I mean, it just took time for that, those questions to go away and for my, my reassurance, my need for reassurance or for information. So I better understood, uh, to, to begin to calm down. And I, so I think he really made a huge, um, he, he contributed in a huge way to rebuilding that trust. And on my side, quite frankly, when you rebuild trust, you have to be willing to risk again. You do. That was very yeah. scary. You know, putting myself out there again, risking, and and there are still days. I mean, we are now, gosh, we're um, six years out, and there are days. Um, let's just say that I can't get a hold of him on his phone, and he's not responding on a, you know texting, and I mean, my imagination can go places, and my heart can do a double flip. Um, and I don't even have any reason behind, you know, uh, any reason to not trust him in the last six years. But, uh, I think that it's important to share that because it illustrates that it does take time and it can kind of raise its head every once in a while when you're least expecting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like every time you come on to the 29 minute mom and we're talking, what I really appreciate about you, Jill, is that you're just so raw and honest and authentic. And it's so, um, you're just such a voice to people that are going through this that instead of trying to pretend, you know, well, okay, my husband was a pastor and he had a little affair and everything's perfect right now. You're giving us real life advice that we can use and you're, t and you're being real about it. And I feel like that's how we learn from people that go through this situation. So, you know, for someone, um, like me or other people listening that have been married a long time, I feel like nowadays 17 years is a long time. That's how long mm -hmm. I've been married. Yeah. Um, but we've had, so, we've had so many friends since we started out, you know, as a newlywed couple, just, they, they haven't made it. And it's sad when each couple that, you know, gets divorced is it's heartbreaking it for friends. But I always think to myself, it could happen to anybody. And I think what you mentioned in your book, um, about the, you know, fades. seven slow fades. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what happens. And we have to be careful of that. So tell us, you know, from your wisdom that you have learned along the way, how do we how can we be proactive in trying our best to not get to that point? Because we all know that marriages go through different phases and some are easier than others. But those seven slow fades is something that can really happen in any marriage. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, it is just what naturally happens in, uh, in relationships. We will begin to uh, pull apart 
And we don't even realize it. That's why we call them fades, because you don't realize it. It's a separation of your heart from your husband's heart, um, one little step at a time, and uh, one centimeter at a time. And so I'll give you some examples. Um, so one of the slow fades we talk about is the slow fade of minimizing. And um, we, you're, you're, you're either one, I mean, most of us are one kind of minimizer or another. There are two kinds that we've identified. One is an internal minimizer and one is an external minimizer. An internal minimizer tends to minimize their thoughts and their feelings, kind of going, oh, it's not important. I'm just, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do anything about that. And um, that's my husband. So um, that feeds his passivity. He grew up in a home that was actually pretty violent and a home where he had no voice. And so now as an adult, he still tells himself my voice doesn't matter because in those early formative years, that was the message that was sent to him. And, um, and so he tends to minimize his own thoughts and feelings. So he doesn't express them. He just stuffs them. And as he says, he would just let things slide, but he really wasn't letting them slide. He was letting them pool. And as they pooled in his heart, then bitterness happened and a fade began in his heart. And he, every time he would not speak up for himself, then he would pull a little bit away from me. Now, I had no idea anything was going on in his head, but he did. Um, now, uh, the other minimize, uh, minimizer is one that minimizes others' thoughts and feelings. That's me. And that's what I was contributing. So I grew up in a home where we didn't do a whole lot with feelings. Uh, we kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I grew up in a very loving home environment, but if life got hard, you just bucked up and moved on. And so my buck up mindset would minimize any feelings or concerns that Mark might put out there. And so I would say, you know what, that's, I mean, you may feel that way, but that's, that's, not the, that's not the situation. And so I would minimize it. I wouldn't validate it. I would minimize it. And so each time I would either minimize his feelings or he would minimize his own feelings, we were pulling apart one little centimeter at a time. So you see, we need to become familiar with these fades and we need to start recognizing where they're happening in our everyday marriage situation and they are happening. And the first step is, you know, to be able to identify something is to even recognize that it's happening. And that's ultimately why we wanted to get these into a book form so that couples would be able to, um, you know, start to go, oh my gosh, wait a minute. They'd actually have, a, they'd actually have maybe a, a, a label to put on uh, some sort of a um, dance that they kind of do in their marriage or inside their head. And they never knew it was called something and, and they didn't recognize it as such. So that's the power of recognizing the fades. And I bet you learned so much more than you ever knew about Mark, just because you had to face these things where a lot of people get you know, complacent in their marriage and they're busy with the kids and work and they're running in different directions and they start to not communicate as much as they did when they were dating and it was just the two of yep. them. So this 
problem that arise actually forced you to learn more about each other, right? It does. You're exactly right. And our hope is that we can help other couples learn, help couples learn more about each other without a crisis. <laughs> You know, we'd love to help them uh, avert that and yet still deepen their intimacy um, because, yes, you're right. I think marriage becomes very daily. You know, it becomes about diapers and dishes and carpools and and we we stop sharing our hearts with each other just because of the chaos of everyday craziness. And so we have to jumpstart that in some ways. And, um, I think that, that, um, you know, I think that's really key to helping couples, uh, deepen that intimacy and having those conversations. So I would say you said, you know, you probably learned a lot about Mark. I would say, yes, I learned a lot about Mark, but I would say I also learned a lot about me. And I think that was very key as well. For instance, another fade is the slow fade of avoiding emotion, And, uh, I would say in the majority of marriages, most men struggle with this slow fade more than women, but because I was raised in more of that buck up, uh, environment, it's actually me that struggles with, uh, avoiding emotion more than my husband does. He's emotional. Um, my tendency is to be, um, he's the feeler. I'm the thinker. And so, Um, that was a place where I had to do a lot of work, uh, to tune into my emotions and, um, and to stop avoiding emotion so that Mark, I could express emotion to him. I could identify it in myself and honestly, so that, uh, you know, we could share emotionally a depth of intimacy that we had never really ever shared uh, probably since our dating years. Cause I probably, I, I let that, I let that curtain down a little bit while we were dating, but then I put it right back up and didn't even recognize that I was doing that. Wow. So tell us what the, um, in your other thing I was curious about when you mentioned in the write up of your book, the perfection infection, mm-hmm. can you tell us Even that, you say that it invades a marriage, even a good marriage. It does. So, you know, we are surrounded by images of perfection all the time. I mean, you you go through the checkout line at the grocery store, you watch movies, uh, and they solve big problems, you know, that you've been dealing with for 10 years. They solve it in two hours. And we don't (laughs) realize it. But then what that does is it sets up some unrealistic expectations in our head and our heart. And so when the perfection infection invades our marriage, then we have unrealistic expectations of marriage or we have unrealistic expectations of our spouse and we unfairly compare our marriage to other marriages and we unfairly compare our spouse to other spouses. And often what we're doing is we're comparing the insides of our marriage to the outsides of other marriages. And that, what that does is it causes discontent. And so that discontent feeds into the fades, which are pulling our hearts apart one little centimeter at a time. We don't recognize it until one day we kind of look at each other and go, I don't know who you are you know, or I, I don't love you anymore. 
And that's because we didn't tend to all of those little centimeters that we were pulling apart. And now it feels like there's a mile between us. And um, it's not impossible to, uh, it's very possible that we feel like we don't love our spouse anymore. But what I want you to know is it's not impossible to light that fire again. It's absolutely possible. And um, that's what happened in our marriage. My husband absolutely could say, I do not love you. And um, I, I, don't, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And uh, so to be able to say now, I mean, you know, uh, he completely sits in a different spot. And, uh, and God t- completely kind of turned his heart inside out. And that can happen. I think that there's a myth of, I don't love you anymore. And, um, I think that we think that love is a feeling and it is to a certain extent, but it's also a choice. And when we begin to choose to love, we close those fades. We turn those fades around and we begin to walk back in the right direction. And one of the things that we talk about in No More Perfect Marriages is we talk about the seven slow fades, but we, but we focus on the eight God tools that turn those fades around. And one of those God tools is love and, um, and learning to choose to love. Maybe, you know, I had to do that when Mark was, um, gone and pursuing this other relationship. I had to choose to love him. And I didn't, I mean, he wasn't returning the, that feeling. He wasn't returning any loving actions. So I was having to make a conscious decision each and every day to choose to love. And man, I learned how to love at a far deeper level than I'd ever experienced before. That's really powerful. I, I give you so much credit for that because that must have been so agonizing um, to not have the love return. And not to mention, you know, the fact that you had these children that were going through their own emotions at the same time. So that must have been really difficult as a mom to see them and their disappointments. It really was. And my husband now um, says that, you know, one of the stories he tells when we speak together or interview together, he will um, often, he, he will often share that he told himself they'll be fine. They'll understand. And, um, all five of our children, three of them were young adults, two were teenagers still at home, and all five of them were absolute wrecks over this. And so, um, the lie he had been telling himself, they'll be just fine, uh, really became very evident to him. And, um, he realized, I don't know that that's actually true. Um, and, and so that was, yeah, it was very difficult, very, very, very difficult. And, um, my son, uh, our youngest, he's now 20, but, uh, he was writing a paper for school the other day and he was, and he wrote about this story and he, um, said, he remembers me saying, this house is a cry zone. And I don't remember saying that. Um, but he remembers that. And that, that was huge for him because he said that it, which honestly, okay, that's huge for me knowing that I'm the person that struggles with the slow fate of avoiding emotion. Right. But um, (laughs) I just knew for the sake of my kids, I had, we had to, you know, it had to be a safe place to express our emotions. And, 
Um, so yeah, it was, it was very, very difficult to walk through that. Um, not only dealing with your own feelings and emotions, but having to, to, uh, deal with your children's as well. Yeah. And just the, the devastation that an affair causes to everybody. I mean, it doesn't matter how old your kids are. It's still upsetting and still there's so many pieces to pick up afterwards. Um, I just recently watched the movie, um, the war room, which is kind of going along with the same, the same topic. I loved how it taught me to sometimes just keep my mouth shut. Don't bring up something and just go to God and pray about it. Yeah. And I think it's super powerful to ask God for help in these areas. I mean, all marriages take work and you have those days, you know, it's like a roller coaster ride. Like one week you just can't live without them. You love them so much. And you just remember all the reasons why you started dating. It could be five minutes later or five days or five weeks later. You're like, what was I yes. thinking? And then, you go, and then you go back to this, the loving feeling again. But the scary part is, is when that gap gets wider and wider and all of a sudden you're not going back to that. I love you feeling. And you feel like because you're not in love that you no longer love each other. So I think that you see that happening is the time you have to dig deep and say, you know what, Uh, even if I'm angry or something bothering me, put your pride aside and admit that there's a disconnect and go on a date or go away for the weekend or write a letter or something. Just because if you're letting that gap widen, that's when divorce happens. And I think you know, of all the times where a girlfriend has told me the one little thing that was bothering her and then that snowballed, but they didn't really specify it to their spouse. And I always tell my friends or whoever that we're not mind readers. So unless someone tells us there's a problem, we don't know. Yeah, (laughs) that is exactly right. And so we need to get stuff on the table. And I think we need to learn how to be safe with each other and for each other to share those things. Because I think a lot of times one or both spouses don't know how to be safe for honest feelings and conversations. What's one thing that you and Mark do now, like you make a point of doing that you didn't do before since you learned all this, like to keep your marriage strong? Well, I think that um, it probably goes back to what I was just talking about, that safety thing. One thing that we do now is we both intentionally validate each other's Uh, feelings and thoughts. So if I express something to him, instead of him defending it or getting angry, he will often re he will repeat it back to me. So what I hear you saying is, you know, that it really bothers you that I've come home late the last six nights and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and he won't defend it. He'll just simply repeat it back and, um, and sometimes say, you know, I, I hear what you're saying and, and I, I receive that. That is validating and it makes me feel heard. Even if he can't immediately do anything about it, it makes me feel heard. And I've been doing the same thing for him. So when he's in his dark uh, dealing with depression, um, instead of trying to pull him out of it, you know, I, I validate him by saying, I, I've never been depressed before, but I can only imagine that it feels very dark and I'm really sorry about that. And, and before I would have tried to tell him why he didn't need to be depressed or why the world was such a wonderful place. 
And so I think that we're kind of sitting with, with each other in our pain, in our frustration, in our struggles, and making it safer to be honest. And I think that's making a big difference. Yeah, yeah that's really good advice. And just to be able to not try to be on the defense all the time. So if somebody doesn't feel the way you feel, don't we all just want to, that's what we just all want. We all want to be heard. We all want to have some validation because we're not going to always feel the same. Yes, that's exactly right. You know, and, and I think a lot of times we think our way is the right way, you know, or our way is the best way. And we have to resist that and, and be open to other people's way of thinking is okay. It's, it's different, but it's, it's okay. And just because it's different from you doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it different. And I think that's another thing that we're doing is we're more accepting each other in our differences. And I mean, we are different. We are like night and day opposites attract, you know, and, um, and we're learning to be, uh, I think, I think we were trying to change each other a lot. Um, and we're more accepting of one another now. Right. Well, I thank you so much, Jill. I love talking to you. I think, you know, everybody listening can learn so much. I thank you for being so honest with your story that and sharing what you and Mark went through. I think so many people are going to benefit from this book. And even if your marriage doesn't feel like it's on a rocky path right now, this is a book that we should all read because it's going to help us be proactive in keeping a strong marriage. So I really encourage everybody to get it. We're going to link up to it on the site. Again, it's called No More Perfect Marriages by Jill Savage and Mark Savage. And just, you know, I hope that the book is blessed and that many, many, many marriages are blessed because of you sharing your story, Jill. Well, thank you. That's what we hope as well. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of you that are listening here at the 29 Minute Mom, where we know every minute counts. And hopefully we will be back soon with some more great lessons in 